But if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you today to turn in them to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And I'm going to pray and then we'll dive into this. Lord, we thank you for the gift that you have given to us in your Son. As we celebrate Jesus coming into the world, that he is everything that we were just singing about, the wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. And Lord, we're so thankful that you made a way for us to be able to know you. And I pray right now that as we consider your word, that you would speak to our hearts today as we consider what it means that Emmanuel has come. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I love Christmas. I love this time of the year. I break out this shirt. Um, <laughs> it's the only time I wear it is for our Christmas services. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> It's kind of vintage. If you see up close, it's got like little stitching on it and stuff. But... <laughs> But Christmas can be complicated, can it? I mean, the whole shopping thing is complicated. I mean, when you're trying to find, you know, what do I buy for so-and-so? And, and, you know, have you ever felt the pressure of trying to surprise people with the gift that is exactly what they want? Have you ever experienced that? That pressure, listen, I know how to surprise people with a gift that they weren't expecting. (laughs) I mean, it's that thing that they just think like, there's just no way, it's too expensive, my parents are never ever going to get me, you know, that, but then you find it on sale somewhere and it's a great deal and you buy it and you wrap it up and on Christmas day they open up and they're just blown away because they in their mind they're like there's just no way possible that my parents are going to get me that and they're so excited because it was they were surprised you got them the gift that they were not expecting so I know how to do that surprise somebody with the gift that they were not expecting And I also know how to get people exactly what they want for Christmas. You take them shopping with you. (laughs) You take them to the store and they pick out the gift. They pick out the color. And then you tell them to go to another store and shop for something else. And you buy it. You have it wrapped up. And then on Christmas Day, they open it. And they're like, oh, it's exactly what I want. It's perfect color. And you're like, yeah, you know. I know how to do that. So I know how to surprise somebody with something they weren't expecting, and I also know how to get somebody exactly what they want, but I don't know how to surprise somebody with exactly what they want. So Christmas can be complicated. The whole shopping thing can be complicated and stressful. But maybe Christmas is complicated for you for different reasons, for another reason, Maybe it's because the baby in the manger reminds you that your crib is still empty. You've been trying to have that baby and it just, you haven't been able to get pregnant. 
And, or you see people happily getting together with their families, and for you, it's not so happy of a time because your family has been marked by divorce or a separation. Dad's got a new girlfriend, and mom's got a new husband, and, and so it's, it's complicated. And, you know, you have people coming over to your house tomorrow that, that you don't hardly, you know, you don't know very well, and you're not even sure if you like them. <laughs> it can be complicated. Or maybe Christmas is hard for you because your spouse or someone that you love is no longer with us. And there's an empty seat at your table that used to be occupied by that person. And so there's a sadness that fills your heart during this holiday season. And if you're honest, you look a lot, you look forward way more to December 26th than you do December 25th. If you are battling today for any of those reasons, Here as Christmas approaches, I have one word for you. Really, it's a name, Emmanuel. Let's read here in Matthew chapter 18, or Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph... Her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means God is salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. And so all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And now he's going to quote from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Verse 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Emmanuel. That is a special name. It's a name that has a lot of theological significance for us. God with us. It's the idea that God literally invaded our worlds on Christmas. That's what was happening. God was coming into our worlds. You know, it's always intriguing to me the names that parents give their children. And sometimes when I, you know, hear of some parents that that gave, you know, their kids some really kind of unique name, I I wonder if they were actually thinking about their kids when they gave them that name, you know, that that kid's going to go through life, you know, having to explain that particular name that they were given. Now, there are certain names that through the different periods of time that have been popular. For instance, in the 1950s, for boys, the names Bob and Charles were the most popular names. But then the 60s came along. 
And in the 60s with the hippies, they wanted to rebel against those traditional names. So in the the 60s, they started naming their kids things like Zappa and, and Doobie. Like, really? You're naming your kid after a joint? I mean, come on, you know. Or Rebel. That one's actually come back. Or, or Wolf. Those were all kind of popular and unique names during the 60s. And then there was the, the, there's those parents that have kind of an interesting last name, and they decide to get really clever in giving their kids names that would go with this last name. For instance, this couple with the last name Bacon, they named their son Crispy Bacon, like in Crispy Bacon. I'm not, I'm not kidding, you know. Or there was the family that had the last name Dover, and so they named their daughter Eileen, like Eileen Dover, you know? Or there was that family with the last name Poole who named their son Gene, like in Gene Poole, you know? Or there was the family with the last name Cutter who named their daughter daughter Cookie, Cookie Cutter, you know. And all of these kids, you know, on the first day of school or whenever their name's getting called out, Cookie Cutter, are you here? All those kids have had to answer the question like as as people would just kind of stare and there'd be a snicker, it'd be like, I had weird parents, all right? You know, I mean, that was the thing. But in Bible times, when they were naming their kids, they, they... Their kids were usually, there was a significant meaning to their name. Like, for instance, when Rebecca had twins, and her firstborn son comes out, and they named him Esau. Esau means hairy. Why did they name him that? Because he had hair all over him. So it's like, oh, we'll call him Harry. And then they called his twin Jacob, which means heel catcher. Why did they call him that? Well, as Esau was coming out, there was a hand that was attached to his foot. And it was his brother's hand, you know, Jacob trying to pull him back in. And so they called him heel catcher. And then there was when Sarah was giving birth. And she named her son Isaac, which means laughter. I love that name. And she was told to name him Isaac because she was a really old lady, like in her 70s. And God comes and says, you're going to have a child. And she laughed like, oh, that's funny. Like, like really, me? You know? And so he said, I want you to name your kid laughter, just to remind you of this moment. And then there was that, that woman who was the wife of one of the priests, And it was during that time when the Ark of the Covenant that represented the glory of God amongst the people of Israel, it was captured by the Philistines. And right at that time, she has a baby, and she named her baby baby Ichabod, which means the glory has departed because the Ark had been captured. Imagine growing up with that name. Your friend brings you home. Hey, I want to introduce you to my friend. The glory has departed, you know. Or worse yet, you're a girl bringing this guy home for the very first time to meet your parents. Mom and dad, this is the glory has departed. I mean, can you imagine what that would have been like? So they had special meanings to their names. And I say all that to say this. When Isaiah the prophet prophesied that the baby would be born and that they should name him Emmanuel, it was because it had huge significance. It means God with us. 
And what it was signaling was that a new and radical reality was taking place on that very first Christmas morning that God was joining his creation. That God was literally becoming one of us. I mean, we're talking, guys, this is mind-blowing. It's the miracle of miracles. I want you to think about this for a moment. That God became a fetus. That he came to live inside of a womb. For nine months. Jesus doesn't just go in there on Christmas morning, okay? He, he, he's there. He's this baby growing inside of his mother's tummy. And then on Christmas morning, he enters into our world. God enters into our world as a baby. Needy, helpless, and completely dependent upon his mother for his very survival. I wonder if Mary realized this. I wonder if she ever said, when she felt Jesus kicking in her tummy, I wonder if she ever said to to Joseph, God's kicking right now. You know, there's that contemporary song that, you know, it's the, the title, Mary Did She Know? And there's a couple lines in there. One that says, did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? That Jesus was hanging out in heaven with all of the angels and suddenly he leaves all of that. And, and he comes and he's nine months growing to become a human being. In the belly of Mary. Or there's that line in the song that says, when you kiss your little baby, did you know that you have kissed the face of God? Did she know? Did she understand that this was Emmanuel, that this was God with us? And what a staggering thought. Not just for Mary, but for all of us. You see, God with us is the essence of the Christian experience. How so? Well, in every other religion, every other religion basically lays out a strategy or a method of how man can reach God. That there's all these different things, these rituals, these rules, these regulations that we have to follow in order to meet God. And if we follow these things, you know, perfectly, we can experience, we can meet God, we can go to heaven, we can reach nirvana or whatever it is that that religion is propagating. But remember the the message that the angel gave to the shepherds that were out in the field outside of Bethlehem? The angel said, hey, we have great news, good news of great joy for you to all people that there is a savior that is born to you this day in the city of Bethlehem. Because listen, the essence of Christianity is not that man reached up to God, but that God reached down. That God came down. That Jesus stepped out of heaven and into the womb, 
And then on Christmas Day, he stepped out of the womb and into our world. And then he would step from our world and onto the cross where he would give his life to pay the price for the sins of mankind so that people like you and I who were separated from God because of our sin could be made right with God so that we have a relationship with God. Listen, when Jesus, the baby, this is what we have to understand, the baby that we worship tomorrow that was born, he was born to die. And they didn't take Jesus' life from him. No, the Bible tells us that he willingly gave it up for us so that we could be made right with God. And in contrast to all the other religions of the world that preach this message, do. You need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do all of these different things in order to be right with God. And if you do enough, then maybe, just maybe, you're going to make it. The message of the Bible is not do, but it's done. Because Jesus did it all. And on the cross, Jesus hung there and said, it is finished. It's complete. He said that and he did that, that he accomplished the work of redemption so that we could be saved and be made right with God. And when a person places their faith in Jesus and what he did for them in dying on the cross to pay the price for their sins and then believing that three days later he rose again from the dead in order to give them life, when they believe that, when they embrace that by faith, this is what happens. Salvation happens. They're saved. Their sins are washed away. They are cleansed and made whole. And God literally looks at them and says, I am declaring you righteous in my eyes. And if you are here today and you do not know Jesus, that can become your reality today if you just put your faith in him. And realizing he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And then he rose again from the dead three days later to give you life. All because of Emmanuel, God came to be with us. But the essence of Emmanuel is not just God with us, but it's God in us. It's God in us. You see, when a person puts their faith in Jesus, something else amazing happens to them. Not only are they saved from their sins, not only is their guilt and shame removed, not only are they declared righteous by God, Not only are they given the hope of eternal life and spending eternity with God, but Jesus comes to live in their hearts by his Holy Spirit. It's literally God living inside of us. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul makes this beautiful statement about the Christian experience when he said this, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit that's living within you. The spirit of God living inside of us. Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, that Christ in you, that's your hope. Of glory. And Jesus spoke these words to the church in Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The door of hearts is what it's talking about. 
And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, that door to their heart, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. This is what Jesus was saying. He goes, this is what I desire of you. I desire an intimate relationship. I want to come into your life and I want to be a part of your life. I want you to know me in an intimate type of relationship. If you would just open the door to your heart. And the Bible says that when we do that, he comes to live inside of us. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, The Holy Spirit inside of each one of us, every day, he's crying in us, Abba, Father. The word Abba means Daddy. In the Hebrew uh, world, Abba was the most intimate expression that a child could have. It's like, Daddy. Think about that. Every day, the Holy Spirit inside of you is going, Daddy crying out to God, desiring that intimacy. And, and the, Jesus is saying, look, if you just open the door to your heart, I want to come in and, so you can know me, not just as your Savior, not just as your Lord, but as your companion and as your friend. Paul would say in Philippians, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, that, that this is God's desire, that, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. The word dwell it means to be at home, at home in our hearts. It's like when somebody comes over, you have a friend, a relative, and you're like, hey, mi casa, you casa, make yourself at home. Don't you love it when they do that? And they kick off their shoes. My, my son's visiting right now from Oklahoma. It's so good to have him and his wife and his little boy Jack with us. And my son, man, he knows how to make himself home at our house. <laughs> He's kicking his shoes off. He's raiding the pantry, raiding the fridge. He is just like at home, you know. It's wonderful. That's what Jesus is saying. I want to be at home. I want, I want to just be able to have open access to every single part of your life. Jesus, Emmanuel. It's not just God with us, but it's God in us. A little girl asked her mom, Mommy, is Jesus in your heart? And she said, yeah. She goes, can I listen? So she, put, she puts her head up to her mom's, you know, chest. But her mom was dealing with some indigestion. <laughs> so the little girl goes, mom, it sounds like he's brewing coffee in there. <laughs> listen, Jesus inside of you is not making coffee. But he is seeking to make you into a new person. That's what he's seeking to do in us. In the book of Ephesians, Paul, the apostle, is, is praying for the church there in Ephesus. And there he gives some insight into the work that Emmanuel is seeking to do in us. It'll be on the screen. There in chapter 3, verse 14, it says this. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Here's what we learn from this. This is one of the things that Emmanuel in us is seeking to do, is he's seeking to strengthen us with his power. To strengthen us to live for Jesus. To strengthen us to stand against the enemy. Jesus says, I want to come in and live inside of you by my Holy Spirit so that I can fill you with my power. 
What kind of power was that? Well, Paul continued in verse 19. He says that you might know, this is what he's praying, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Think about that. This is the power. This is the result of Emmanuel living in us is that we might be filled with the power of God. And it's the very same power that brought Jesus Christ out of the grave. We're talking resurrection power is available to us, church. Can I get an amen to that? Resurrection power. So Emmanuel is living in us in order to strengthen us with his power. But Paul went on that also was saying that we might, number two, have the assurance of God's love. He said there in verse 17 of chapter 3, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's what he's telling us. God wants us to know that you are loved by him. He wants us to know that if you are in Christ, that that you have his favor, that he is with you and that he is for you and that he understands everything that you are going through. So for any of you who are maybe facing a lonely December, do you know that Jesus understands our sorrows? He understands our grief. Has it ever crossed your mind that Jesus experienced a lot of loneliness. You might say, Pastor Rob, what are you talking about? I mean, he had his 12 disciples. He always had these crowds that were hanging around him all the time. How could Jesus ever have been lonely? But the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, it says, even in his own land and among his own people, the Jews, he was not accepted. Only a few would welcome him and receive him. In Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet wrote this about Jesus, that we despised him and rejected him. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with the bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we didn't care. Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely. But through his spirit living in your heart, Jesus wants you to know that you are loved in a greater way that you could ever even imagine. And according to Paul, it's wider and it's longer and it's higher and it's deeper. The love of God is than you and I could ever fathom. Some sailors on a warship were out at sea And they wanted to drop the anchor. And so as they were dropping the anchor, they're trying to find the bottom. And on those ships, they have that sonar, that radar. And they're trying to find the bottom. And the captain was saying, have we found the bottom yet? And they kept saying, no, it's deeper still. It's deeper still. Well, do you know that in our lives, when we measure the love of Jesus, there is no bottom. There's no bottom to his love. 
You might think in the midst of something that you have done, some failure that has happened in your life, and where the Lord has forgiven you, and he's restored you, and he's come you know, near to you, and he shows, showered you with his love, and you think, man, I have reached the bottom of his love. And he's like, nope, it's deeper still. There's always more to follow. And I love this in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. One other translation puts it this way, that the love of God, the very love of God, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that comes to live inside of us. So catch this. The essence of Emmanuel, the essence of the Christmas story is not just God with us, and it's not just God in us, but it's also God through us. Because listen, church, the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the presence of the Holy Spirit in order for it to be poured out of us. To reach the world around us. That you and I, we're like pitchers. You know, you get that, that you make the lemonade at home and you put it into a pitcher and you don't set it in the pitcher for it just to sit there and look, you know, green and tasty. No, you put it in the pitcher so it can be poured out. Well, God says, I've placed my Holy Spirit in you and I've placed my love in you so that that love can be poured out of you. Jesus said, this is how they're going to know that you are my disciples. It's going to be by the love that you have for one another. The world experiences love when you and I as Christians are loving. I love this quote by one of my favorite commentators, Ray Steadman. He says, the incarnation, the incarnation is when, when God became a man. The incarnation of Jesus continues through to this very day. How? Because Jesus, the incarnation, he, Jesus is being lived out. He wants to be lived out in our lives. Jesus living in us so that he can live through us. Let's think about Mary again for a moment. We re- read in our text that Mary was to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And so as she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, God was literally growing inside of you. Many of you mothers, you know what that's like to have a human being. Actually, all of you mothers know what what that is like. I meant to say many of you ladies, but all of you mothers. To have a human being growing inside of you. And you reach that point where you just feel like you're going to pop, right? I remember Stacy Henschel a couple weeks ago, just feeling like, man, I'm going to pop. I mean, it was just crazy, that baby. And many ladies have described it this way, that there came a day that that baby just had to come out of me. Mary experienced that. Jesus was growing in her to the point that Jesus, on that Christmas morning, he just had to come out of her. Jesus came out, and God entered our world. So imagine, 
Imagine what it would be like to have God growing inside of you so much that he just had to come out. He just had to get out of you. What would it have been like to deliver Jesus into the world? The answer to that question might be closer than you even realize. You see, one of the Christmas gifts that God has given to you and to me is the supernatural deposit of his presence in our hearts. Jesus in your hearts. And Jesus, if you are a Christian, he is growing inside of you. And he is growing inside of you and me to the point that he wants to come out of us to impact our world. So the more at home Jesus is in your heart, the more surrendered that you are to him, the more he grows. And the more he comes out and he is seen and his love is on display in the way we live our lives. So imagine for a moment how your life would change every single day if you woke up and said, God is with me and God is in me because the Holy Spirit resides in my heart and God wants to live through me today. Imagine how your life would change, how our lives would change if we just took a moment to think about those three things. God is with me, God is in me, and God wants to live his life through me today. Imagine how our lives would would change and how our world would be impacted if we realized that on a consistent basis that the love of God that has been poured into us wants to be poured out of us to quench the thirst of a thirsty world. You see, Jesus is seeking to manifest himself to the world around us by living through us, his church. Now, before you say, you know, Pastor Rob, that's unrealistic in my life. I mean, I'm just a simple person. I'm just glad I'm saved. God can't do anything with my Nothing special. I want you to think for a moment about Mary. Mary's a simple girl. She's godly, yes, but a simple girl living in a town called Nazareth. Nazareth, it it was like Hicksville, okay? I mean, literally. When one of the disciples meets his friend Thomas and says, hey, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus from Nazareth. Remember how Thomas reacted? I think it was Nathaniel. Nathaniel, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, really? So she's living. I mean, picture, I don't know, I don't mean to offend anybody, but picture like Rainbow, okay? You know? Or Valley Center, maybe. You know, I mean, that's, that, that's like where, that would be like Nazareth. You know, that's like where, where she's living, just, just in Hicksville. Sorry if I offended you if you're from either of those places. Rural, country, you know, I mean, it's just, (laughs) I can't climb out of this hole. But But Luke's gospel records that when Gabriel came to Mary with the news that she was going to give birth to God's son, that she responds and says, how can this be? I I haven't been with a man. I'm still a virgin, in other words. And this is what Gabriel said. He goes, Mary, 
Nothing is impossible with God. But the literal definition of what he said is this, and I love this. He said, Mary, with God, no word is without power. In other words, when God declares something, there's a power behind it. It's like we like to say that God's commandments are God's enablements. When God calls us to do something, he gives us the power to carry it out. With God, no word is without power. So this was Mary's response. She didn't fully understand what the angel was telling her or how this was going to happen. But she said this, let it be according to your word. And I want you to imagine for a moment, what would happen if we took every command that God has for us in Scripture and we said, okay, Lord, I'm not sure how you're going to do that, but let it be according to your word. Lord, work that out of me. I believe your commandments are your enablement. So, Lord, work that out. Imagine if we responded in that way how our lives would change. Imagine how our communities, how our families, how our church would be impacted. I mean, what if husbands and wives responded like Mary? And when God says to husbands, okay, Lord, you tell me to love my wife as Christ loved the church and to serve her and cherish her like I take care of my own body. Lord, I believe that your love has been poured into me by your Holy Spirit. And that same great power that rose Jesus from the grave is available to me. So, Lord, let it be according to your word. I'm going to try to love my wife in that way. Imagine what would happen. Imagine what would happen if wives said, okay, Lord, you tell us to to love my husband and respect him and honor him. And I believe that your great love has been poured into my life by the Holy Spirit and that the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave is available to me. So I'm going to love my wife, my my husband. I'm going to honor him and cherish him. Lord, let it be according to your word. I believe that your commandments are my enablements. Imagine what would happen to the marriages in our church. If we responded and believed that, that God is with us and God is in us and God is wanting to live through us and so that his great love and his great power is available to us every single day, how would our communities be transformed if all of us who are a part of the Calvary Vista Church family lived that and believed that? Not just God with us or God in us, but God wanting to live through us and that with God, no word is without power. It would be amazing. Can I get an amen to that? As we close today, if you are here and you are an unbeliever, I want to encourage you. What would happen in your life if you said, Jesus, I believe that you came and died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And you rose again from the dead, proving that you were exactly who you said that you were. That you rose to give me life and give me hope. What would happen if you said, Lord, I believe that? This is what would happen. Jesus would come into your heart. And God would forgive you of your sins. And he'd take away the guilt. And he'd take away the shame. 
And he would place within your heart a hope of this reality that you would spend forever with Jesus. That God right now would look at you in that moment and he would say to you, this is how I see you now in my son. You are righteous, forgiven and cleansed in my son and my daughter. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the wonder, the splendor of Emmanuel. God with us, God in us, and God seeking to live through us. Lord, we want to be like Mary. Those who would say, Lord, I don't know how you want to do that, but let it be according to your word. Do that work in my life. And Lord, I pray for anybody here today, anybody watching online, that doesn't know you, that hasn't opened up their heart to you, that doesn't know the reality of Emmanuel living inside of them, that today they would make a decision to turn from their sin and to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, and fill me. And if you're here today and, and that's you, you want to open up your heart today, you want to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to just in the quietness of your heart to just Repeat this prayer after me. Now, maybe you're here today and maybe you, at one point in time in your life, you professed faith in Jesus. But then at some point you walked away from him. You've been living in rebellion. Or maybe you never really truly walked with him. You've just been doing your own thing. And, and today your heart has been reminded. God loves you. He wants to know you. He wants to do a work in you. He wants you to be his son, his daughter. He wants to be at home in your heart. And he's asking you today to come back to him, to open your heart back up to him. If that's you, I also want you right now in the quietness of your heart, to repeat this prayer after me. Just say, dear Jesus, I need you. I'm asking you today to come into my heart, to make my heart your home. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my rebellion. And from this day forward, I want to walk with you. I want to live for you. I give you my life today. I'd like us just to keep our head bowed and our eyes closed for a moment right now. You know, Jesus said that if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. But if you deny me, I will deny you. You see, Jesus, he... He wants us to go on record because he knows that that solidifies our faith. 
But so I just want to really simply in this moment right now give you an opportunity to make that confession in this way. If you prayed with me to open up your heart to Jesus or to come back to Jesus, would you just lift your hand up right now just to acknowledge that, to just say, God bless you. Anyone else? Say, yeah, that was me. God bless you. Up high where I can see it. The Lord wants you to know today that he loves you, that you're his, that you belong to him. And that's what we're celebrating as we celebrate this Christmas. God with us, Emmanuel. God in us. And God seeking to live through us.